This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to our last segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Your faithful American Muslim. American Patriot, here to talk about those issues of the day in depth in a way that you won't hear them elsewhere. From a point of view, you will not hear elsewhere that of a reformist, pro-liberty, pro-American point of view. Today, we're talking about Syria 101. What do we need to understand? What do you need to understand as an American to know what are the interests, what are the problems, and what are the solutions for Syria. I would tell you that ultimately uh, Assad had and his regime, his military thugs, even though they were outnumbered, they remained outgunning the revolution. But it wasn't any civil war. It had transformed into a regional conflict and that conflict was between the relatively unarmed Syrian people and the regime armed with tanks, chemical weapons, helicopter gunships, jets, and a military. Also boosted by Russian armed support, cash, and assistance, and technical assistance and training, and bolstered by tens of thousands of Iranian Revolutionary Guard, Republican Revolutionary Guard, and Hezbollah, Many of our families will tell you that they are fighting a revolution against, no longer against Arabs, but against Persians and Afghanis and Pakistanis and Shia from around the world and Russians who are coming in to fight for Assad. The ruthless genocidal Assad who claims that he's targeting terrorists when in fact he's carpet bombing and Putin's military is carpet bombing Sunni neighborhoods in the suburbs of Aleppo and Damascus and Dara and Hama and Homs and across the cities of Syria. This is the reality. And fast forward through 2012, there was still no ISIS, but Assad's methods were to allow many of the Al-Qaeda operatives that, similar to what he did in, in letting them go into Iraq to kill our troops when we were fighting against Saddam, He again allowed many out of prison and set them loose to infiltrate and create acts of terror that then allowed him and gave him cover to respond ruthlessly as dictators and tyrants do. He adopted a strategy of divide and conquer, exploiting the sectarianism, where he would find himself uh, 
able to to show that either a Sunni mosque or a Shia mosque was targeted and bombed. Various icons were attacked that would allow the sectarian divisions to widen. There were also foreign Sunni fighters who came in from Saudi Arabia, from Qatar, from Turkey. And soon those would then become foreign ISIS fighters coming in as ISIS then formed itself in 2013 as the Islamic State. And al-Baghdadi then saw the opening to create his headquarters in Raqqa, but also had seen the weakness in Iraq and, and figured that this could be a war beyond Syria, but also for Sunni dominance into an Iraq that had also lost its nationalism. Because into... ISIS's strength is its ability to exploit the weakness of nationalism and the weakness of secularism when it's dominated by dictators and tyrants that ruin the name and the branding of sectarian, of secularism. And that's what ISIS did. ISIS was able to spread it to northern Iraq into 2014 because Iraqi nationalism had been abandoned by the Sunni Ba'athists of Iraq because, as the Americans pulled out, Baghdad had been surrendered to the Shia. And the Shia dominance of the Iraqi parliament had basically made Iraq a client state of Iran. And while Saddam Hussein, as a Sunni tyrant, had decimated the people of Iraq no different than Hafiz Assad and his son Bashar had done, there was hope after liberation of Iraq that Iraqi nationalism in the name of democracy and critical thinking and free speech and free press would begin to make a comeback through a parliament, a diverse parliament. And we can talk another time about what happened in Iraq and why the the wranglings of the interim government and many of the mistakes that we made, not only in full debathification, but the mistakes that we made in not encouraging them more strongly and working with those who were true secularists, but allowing it to become an Islamic state, actually then fostered the seeds of the divisions of, of, of conflict between Sunni and Shia. And that conflict then became a pathology of whoever was to become president from al-Maliki on. And now basically as we pulled out and the chaperones have left, Iraq has turned into a client state of Iran. And the Sunni Ba'athists, even though they detest ISIS's ideology and its Sharia supremacism, the Sunni Ba'athists have no reason to fight for Iraq. So when ISIS started marching through in their Toyotas, <laughs> whatever they came in, from Syria, they just let them drive through. And that's how they took cities like Mosul and others. Yes, there was some fighting, but for the most part, the Sunni old Ba'athists just let them come through. The Washington Post had a couple good stories in detail that talked about how and why that happened and why the old secular Ba'athists would ever sort of surrender and allow ISIS to go through. Well, because to them, anything that would embarrass and weaken the Shia regime and in Baghdad would be at the end good for what they saw in Iraq and they could then take it back after the Shia were defeated. So this sectarian divide was exactly what Assad wanted. Now, 
ISIS by setting up shop in Iraq was able to get tons of cash and money flow and became an economy and became a full-fledged state with billions of dollars feeding it. And the Free Syria Army, as ISIS radicalized, other Al-Qaeda-like organizations came in and Islamists from all over the planet came into Syria, also from Europe and Tunisia and Saudi Arabia and America. It became a jihadist haven. And there was no end in sight to that. And the Free Syria Army that had tried to get attention from the West but got just morsels of weapons now became much more radicalized and now had to make the bizarre concessions of the times having to work with jihadist groups in that the enemies of their enemy was their friend. And that's exactly what's happening on the other side with Assad working with Iran and Russia and anyone else who shares the enemy of ISIS. So you have these two divides that have occurred and in the middle now since 2015 in the name of fighting ISIS. And wait, this is no small footnote. August 2013, we saw the use of chemical weapons, not only the first time verified, but over 40 times verified by international organizations and tested not only out of its cruel inhumanity of belligerent tyrants and genocidal dictators, but simply also to test the will of the West, to prove that Obama's red line meant nothing, and that ultimately Russia could do whatever it wanted. And that's when Russia began accelerating its work into into Syria because it realized that the United States would never get involved in Syria, no matter what happened, full stop, period. And Russia, that had its base, as I told you in the early parts of this episode, that had its base in Tartus would then solidify and amplify its work in Syria and actually begin to hand anti-aircraft technology and other things to the Syrians to protect against any NATO forces and others that would come in. And Russia was not only helping its friend of Assad, but also doing what it did in Ukraine, which is expanding its imperial wishes. And lost in the middle, lost in that crossfire, were the minorities. The Yazidis, who were genocidally killed in Iraq. The Christians, upon which it took finally the House of Representatives in the United States to declare that there was genocide against them by ISIS. And one of the most evil, if not the most evil incarnations of humanity came out of this conflict, which was the Islamic State led by Baghdadi. And the only thing to end this Islamic State would be the will of the West. While Assad and Russia claim to be fighting ISIS, look at the air campaigns that they're running. They're not bombing ISIS. Maybe one out of ten sorties are into areas, but they should have been, if they're going to carpet bomb anywhere, why weren't they bombing Raqqa? But no, they're bombing southwest, west, central areas of Aleppo where there is hardly any ISIS. Yes, there may be some jihadists, but I thought their war was against ISIS. And yes, it is against the jihadists also, but what they were killing, for example, there were 50 to a few hundred Free Syria Army soldiers that we had trained, supposedly the CIA had trained, and they became the targets of the Russians and the Assadists. 
So in the end here, let's talk for a few minutes about what are some of the solutions as these towns all unravel. You hear politicians talk about Aleppo having fallen, which is just a bizarre rebranding for a slow genocide of carpet bombing, chemical weapons, cutting off of water, cutting off of food, the inability to bring in humanitarian aid, the cutoff of any influence from the UN, the complete ex- the complete end of any diplomatic channels. And, and these ceasefires are nonsense. Any Syrian can tell you that the political gamesmanship that's been done and brinksmanship is nonsense. There is no political solution. One side will win in Syria and the other side will have to completely surrender. Surrender to the court of the new government. And my feeling is that of the 22 million Syrians, you may see a few million in the next five years that die But ultimately, the Assad regime will be defeated. Russia will lose its will. And I hope America and the West begin to find ways to determine and to begin to help those Syrians who share their values. They're becoming lesser. And yes, Assad had a strategy a year ago when he started handing out millions of passports telling them, you either, telling the Sunnis that you either leave or you will be destroyed through carpet bombing and genocide. That's what they were told. They did not spontaneously all decide all of a sudden to leave together. This was part of a systematic operation by the Syrian regime to ethnically cleanse the area either physically or militarily. And that's what created this refugee crisis that continues with almost 10 million internally displaced, almost half of the Syrian population and almost four, 4 million externally displaced with 1 to 2 million into Europe. Unbelievable numbers. And the genocide continues. The rate of killing has increased exponentially from what I told you before. And what stands into the future is an evolution. The Syrian people, I do not believe, give up this war. They've given up too much to do so. Think about wars that you know of in the past, be it the civil American Civil War, the World War One, World War Two. Which conflict just sort of ended because, well, we lost, we'll just give up. There has to be a full resounding defeat for wars of this magnitude to end. And one side will need to be defeated. And the Sunnis, I do not believe, for the majority, are going to give up until the Assad regime is defeated. So what do we do? To be on the right side of history, I think obviously the Assad regime is evil. We cannot work with evil. That is un-American. Now, the Free Syria Army also does not share our values, many of whom are radicals, are jihadists. We should not work with them. So what's left? We begin on the ground through special forces, through a UN protection force in the area like we did in Bosnia, Herzegovina, and Kosovo. We begin to carve out areas where the UN can go in, where Western forces, NATO forces can begin to carve out areas of safe zones. And through those areas, then we begin to also train and work with rebel forces with free Syria army forces that do share our values. It'll be a long war. This is not a short one.
but eventually then those forces will work to defeat the Assad regime. Yes, it is a cold, if not a warm war, as it was in Afghanistan and elsewhere against the Assad regime, but also, obviously, in some ways against Russia. Because the Cold War is just being rebranded, obviously. It's still the Cold War. And we have to continue to fight for our interests and our values together, and we can do both. And last uh, episode, I talked about whether we should fight for our interests or our values, and yes, I lean towards values. But I think our American interests are served by helping those who share our values. And if we simply ignore those who share our values and help those who detest our values, like despots, it'll in the end come back to hurt us and kill us as they feed terrorists around the world. We see this in Saudi Arabia, we see it in Iran, we see it with the Assad regime. So, solution. Help humanitarian, force humanitarian solutions through the UN to empower a UN protection force as we did in Bosnia, Herzegovina, and Kosovo. Two, begin to work slowly on the ground, quietly and covertly with rebel forces that truly we believe in. And we should not be embarrassed. doesn't have to be that covert. We did in Afghanistan and we can do it here again where we do it because we recognize that the Russians are on the side of evil and we will help the other side. They're not embarrassed about helping Assad. We should not be embarrassed about helping those forces that share our values. And we may need to help figure out ways that they can be created. And yes, help them also defeat not only Assad, but help them defeat ISIS, help them defeat Jabhat al-Nusra. And demand that the Saudis and the Qataris stop funding the radical jihadists and actually work on the side of secularist movements. And lastly, create no-fly uh, no zones and safe zones. Now, what do you do with that pesky DOD memo of understanding with the Russians? That'll have to be renegotiated and do it through the UN. Yes, they have a Security Council vote, but we can do it through the UN where we say that we are going to begin to do it unilaterally. We will not fight against them, but we will protect the forces that seek to be free in Syria and defeat both the enemies of the jihadists that are in the jihadists and the enemies that are in the Assadists and the Syrian regime. I hope this was helpful. I hope Syria 101 has gained some clarity for you. I don't have all the answers, but I certainly think from our discussion you have a little better understanding of the history and where we should go from here. Thank you. Thank you for spending the time with me. Thank you for joining me on Reform This, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. This is your faithful host, Zudi Jasser. God bless. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.